What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, B-Date, back for another podcast episode. In this one, I'm going to be talking about um, the red-hot Golden State Warriors who just won a very, very convincing game against the Brooklyn Nets on the road, 117-99. to It wasn't that close when you watched the game. It ended up being 18 points because of the garbage time, but Man, it was a statement win. It was very impressive. Um, I'm going to talk about that game a little bit, but just them and their hot start as a whole. And then I'm going to flip the coin in the Western Conference and talk about my Lakers and how we've been struggling. And, you know, just some of the woes that I've seen. Um, But still, I'm going to try and find reasons to be hopeful um, due to, you know, the injuries we've had on our roster, some guys who haven't even played yet. But based on what I've seen through our first 15, it, it doesn't look like we are a championship roster at all. Let's talk about it. Okay, what's going on, everybody? We are recording 7 a.m. the day after the Warriors go into Brooklyn and handle business 117 to 99. Uh, bar of the day, very simple. Let's not overthink this. Um, and shout out to my boy Darian for giving me the idea. He does quote of the day on his podcast, Mouth of the South podcast. Y'all be sure to check that out um, to get any Saints and just NFL news in general. Um, he'll get you right there. But the bar of the day, very simple. I've been Steph Curry with the shot, been cooking with the sauce, Chef Curry with the pot boy. That comes from Drake, 0 to 100. Uh, If you didn't know, get under the rock that you've been sleeping on. Um, But let's, let's let's just go ahead and dissect last night before we get into the bigger Warriors point and how they've been so, so successful to start the season. Um, and why they just look like they're they are head and shoulders better than any team in the West at the moment. And um if you want the honest truth, better than any every team in the NBA right now. Um so if we talk about last night, <clears throat> the defense to me was the thing that stuck out the most. Yes, Stephen Curry had thirty seven points on twelve of nineteen shooting. Yes, he was flying around the court and um you know, doing his off-ball movement and things of that nature. Yes, the cutting was pristine, and Draymond was hooking guys up with easy assists. All that is true. But I want to touch on the defense first. This is a team who came into the game with the number one defensive rating in the league, and it shows why they have it, right? They're a smart, well-coached defensive team. Shout-out to Steve Kerr. Shout-out to Ron Adams. Defensively, There were stretches in this game, if you didn't watch, where Steve Kerr implemented a triangle in two zone and a box in one zone. And what that means, if you're not familiar, there was a lineup out there that the Nets ran that had Kevin Durant, James Harden, Bruce Brown, DeAndre Bembry, and Blake Griffin. Okay, The first two guys I named, superstars, obviously can score at all three levels, all that, yada, yada, yada. But the next three guys, Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Bembry, good NBA role players at this point in their time. Blake can hit a three. 
you know, every now and then. But those are guys that don't scare you offensively. They're out there for their defense and things of that nature. And if they hit threes, you're kind of okay with that because you know that's one less shot that Kevin Durant or James Harden took. So Steve Kerr leaned into that. And what the triangle in two does, which is what he ran more of last night, is you put a triangle on the court with one defender around the free throw line area and the other two defenders on each side of the lane down around the blocks. And basically their rotations are just if the ball goes to the corner, if the ball goes to the left corner, the guy who's guarding the left block area goes out, the other guy rotates, and you stay in your triangle kind of shape, while the two people, um, the triangle and two, the two guys are in man-to-man coverage on James Harden and Kevin Durant with the intention of not letting them catch the basketball, and if they do somehow get it, being in their shorts to try and dissuade any jump shot attempt. And they can do that with a lot of freedom and play very aggressively on the ball because they know the triangle is behind them if if Durant or Harden drives the ball. And basically you say, well, okay, so all they need to do is drive the ball on their man and kick out to the three. That's exactly what the triangle and two wants you to do. It, it wants to allow shots to the guys who I mentioned, Bembry, Brown, and Griffin. That's the whole point of why the Warriors ran it was, look, we know you guys without Joe Harris are a limited team offensively outside of these two guys. So we're not going to let those two guys beat us. And it was a very smart strategy by Steve Kerr. But it only really works if you have this, this sort of personnel to run it as well. You know, we could go out, uh, me my homeboys could go out and try and run a triangle and two against the Nets and they just shoot over us <laughs> or they would get to the rim and break through the triangle as well, you know? So the personnel matters as well. And when you have guys like Jonathan Kaminga, who played well in his uh, minutes as a rookie, you have Gary Payton, the second, who was just, just giving James Harden all types of hell. Um, you know, obviously James is going to score his points. He's a great player, but the, the discomfort you could see Gary Payton causing him, like, visibly on that screen. Um, you have guys like Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green, who I thought Draymond Green was phenomenal last night on KD, held him to under 20 points. Um, I believe he finished with 19 points on 19 shots, which you could do that to Kevin Durant. It's a huge win. Now, obviously, he's probably missed some shots he normally makes. That's fine. Every NBA player will say that, especially the stars, but... A lot of those shots were really good, were really well defended. And um, KD even said post game, um, he's taken some rushed and bad shots once they got down by 10 to 15 points um, because he's trying to get those points back so fast. So um, defense is all a part of that, man. And you take it how you get it as a defender in this league. So, firstly, I thought um, the defense was great and it showed because of how well they're coached, how well they can go from man to triangle and two to box and one to all these different little gimmicky defenses. Um, I also thought after they defended the possessions well and got the rebound, their transition from defense to offense was very, very well executed last night. Um, You would see Draymond get a board, 
or you would see Iggy get a board, and they're not looking for Curry, and Curry's not looking to go get the ball. They're running in transition, getting into their principles and offense, which is down screen, pin downs for Stephen Curry, uh, drag screens if Curry has the ball, and, and we're just trying to look to get the slightest bit of advantage because we know in that transition full-court game, our five are better with their continuity than your five are on defense. Mix that with Steph Curry can shoot it from anywhere inside a half court, and it's not a bad shot. Mix that with Draymond Green's IQ and smarts to know when people are cutting and where they need the ball when they cut. It's a recipe for success, and and you see why they are leaps and bounds ahead of even a team like Brooklyn at the moment, where they can go into their their place and it sounded like a Warriors home game first of all but second of all it just looked very comfortable for them they never felt out of sorts they never felt rushed so I thought that was a very impressive win for for the Warriors and uh, as we touch on you know the broader sense of why they've been so good man I, I think there's a few reasons obviously let's not bury the lead Steph being Steph uh, 37 again last night as I mentioned and I think he brought his scoring um, points per game up to like 28.7 with the performance last night. So Steph, gonna Steph is is still a thing. But to me, that's not the biggest thing because he was doing these type of things last season as well. So then what changed? To me, it it boils down to, to two things. One is the, the continuity of their core. Um, Steph, Draymond, Looney, those guys were obviously there last season, but um, they were in between injuries a few times. But adding a guy like Iggy back in the mix, you know, and, and surrounding these guys with veterans and youth who are, who are uh, adept and capable of fitting their system. I look at a guy like Jonathan Kaminga, who I mentioned, He's starting to kind of get the system now. He's starting to kind of understand, oh, when I catch it, it doesn't mean I have to dribble right away. I can catch and look and see the actions developing in front of me. And if those don't work, then I can show off my amazing talent um, that projects me to be a great player in this league. And then I can get into my bag if, if everything breaks down in front of me. But until it breaks down, let me be efficient with my dribble. And let me look to find someone cutting or find someone flaring out to three. When I look at a guy like Jordan Poole, he's a young dude, but he has a veteran type of savvy to him, man. Like he's okay with passing the ball up ahead in transition, um, knowing that he might get it back if he just keeps running the floor hard. Um, he, he, he's been great this season. And it kind of feeds me into my next point, which is just their depth, man. They, legitimately go 13 deep of really really solid players you obviously have your Stephs, your drays you know your pools but guys like gary payton the second are coming off the bench and, and providing real quality minutes andre godala obviously uh guys like otto porter jr who you know is on a minimum contract i believe you know the, these guys are are playing well above their their contract bielitsa is another one and and they all have a couple things in common. They're either really tenacious defensively, like your Porters, your Andres, your Peyton the Seconds, um, or 
they are really, really good shooters. Your Bielitsas, your Porters, your Pools, right? Uh, your Damian Lees. When you mix those kind of ingredients with the system they play, you're going to get a good shot pretty much every time. And that's what I see. And that's where I love watching the Warriors play because to me, they are so hell bent on their process um, over their result. But their process is so good that result good results happen most of the time. And what I mean by that is like, you know, you'll have some teams, and I'll talk about my team in a second, who the process doesn't look good at the moment, right? They're shooting a lot of tough shots, or they're shooting a lot of deep mid-range twos, late in the shot clock, hand in the face, haven't really created a lot of advantage on the position, but they're so talented that... You know, the result is, hey, we still made the bucket. We still won. We still beat this bad team. But over the course of a 82-game season and into the playoffs, which is ultimately where good teams are judged, that process doesn't hold up because it's like, oh, you're having to rely on making a lot of contested shots. And they're going in now, but eventually, man, those hard shots later on in the season and into the playoffs only get harder. And they're only tougher to make. Whereas the Warriors, they shot, uh, I believe, 80 shots last night. 79 field goal attempts, uh, to be exact. 40 of them were threes. Um, so their shot diet is decent for their for their uh, talent. But if you look at those 79 field goal attempts, I guarantee you 60 of them are great shots. They're either layups, they're wide open threes. Or they're like Andrew Wiggins in his mid-range game, which he's actually been really good at. Um, I would say out of those 79, that probably 60 to 65 were really, really good shots. Doesn't mean you're going to make them all, obviously. You know, you're going to miss wide open shots. But the fact of the process that they can get to those open shots at will more than any other team in the league, in my opinion. And they don't even have Klay Thompson back. I ain't even talk. It's been... 13, 14 minutes since I've been talking and I haven't even mentioned Klay Thompson. That's what makes this team truly scary is the fact that they don't even have their maximum spacing yet. And they're still getting into the paint at will because of the space they create. But imagine in that starting lineup turning Jordan Poole to Klay Thompson. And then that first guy off the bench, instead of it being, you know, a non-shooter or a non-offensive guy can be Jordan Poole. Then all of a sudden... The minutes offensively when Steph are on the bench is a lot better because you're getting a fresh Jordan Poole coming in and maybe Clay stays and anchors the second unit instead of uh, Poole who started the game staying in and maybe he doesn't have as much as in the tank to carry a second unit. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's really tough right now to see anybody beating them at the moment. And this is without Clay Thompson and their number two pick who, you know, Whatever on James Wiseman. Um, But yeah, as I mentioned, just some numbers to throw out before I wrap this. They are first in defensive rating. That could have only gotten better last night, holding the Nets to 99 points. Um, And as fast of a pace game as that was. And like I said, a lot of that was garbage time. Um, They're third in offensive rating. I believe that will go up as well. um, Just due to how... Well, they shot the ball last night. They shot 52% from the field. Um, 
They're first in net rating, which is basically your offensive rating minus your defensive rating. The answer is your net rating. They are first by a country mile in that stat. And then they're first in assist rate. 70% of their buckets are assisted. So it goes back to what I was saying about that process, man. Like They give the ball up. They play for one another. They cut. They move. They cut hard. They play with joy. And... They know they can do all these things because they're probably going to get the ball if they're open, as 70% assisted buckets will tell you, you know. So overall, very high on this Warriors team. I'm getting 2015 vibes from them, but Steph's better, which is scary. Uh, we got to hold out to see what Clay looks like when he comes back. But if Clay is just 85% of the Clay Thompson we remember from 2019, I, I, I gotta admit, bro, and this hurts as a Laker fan, as a guy who wants to see um my team get one more ring, you know, it it it, it it's tough. <laughs> it's tough, man. It's really tough. Um I, I think at the moment they would be the favorite to come out the West at the very least. And if you want to take it a step further, they should be the favorite to win the ring at this moment. Um so yeah, man, shout out to the Warriors, 12-2 and two start. Um, the defense is real. The offense is sustainable. And it's going to be hard to beat this t- team four times out of seven. All right, so as I go from waxing poetic about the Warriors, I now must talk about my Los Angeles Lakers, who will be playing in the new crypto.com arena instead of staples center now uh for those of you who don't know they just uh, sold the rights to uh, crypto.com um on christmas day it'll be changed from staples center to crypto.com arena which is just so weird to say i don't think i'll say it for this first season um just out of not only ignorance, but just a little bit of respect. Like, hey, man, this is Staples, man. This is the house that, you know, Kobe and Shaq, you know, and all these dudes won their rings at, you know. And there's just so much history in it being just Staples, you know what I'm saying? So I wouldn't even call it Staples Center to those who not only went, but those who, you know, are fans of the team. It was, hey, man, game at Staples on Sunday. Big game at Staples. And now it's big game at Crypto.com Arena. It's, it doesn't get the same sort of ring. At least not yet. Big game at the Crypto. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it'll, I guess it'll catch on when, when people get a little more used to it. But anyway, man. Um, one of the teams that is housed in that arena at the moment. The Los Angeles Lakers. And they have gotten off to sort of a rocky start. Eight and seven after that embarrassing Bulls loss. Um, I touched on this in my Pacific Division preview podcast. A lot of alliteration there. Um, But I basically said the first 15 games, we have a softer schedule. We should start anywhere from like best case 12 and three, worst case 10 and five, just due to the schedule I saw. And, of course, we couldn't do that, man. Two losses against OKC. That's your 10-5 and five right there if we would just win both of those games where we have a big lead. Um, 
You know what I mean? Like that 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 would have been worst case right there is if we just win those two games. But hey, it's gotten worse than worst case. And I'm a little bit nervous. Okay. Um 14th in defensive rating. It's not as bad as I would have thought. Just I watched every play of this team, obviously. It's my team. Um But the thing that's kind of alarming for me and there are reasons for this. Um, before I pile too much on the team. We haven't seen Kendrick Nunn play. We haven't seen Ariza yet. Uh, THT just recently got back. Um, Austin Reeves just got hurt. LeBron's been out, obviously. But 23rd in offensive rating is what is alarming. And then you couple that 23rd in offensive rating with uh, fourth worst in turnover rate. So basically out of every 100 possessions, how much do we turn the ball over? Uh, we're fourth worst in that in that department. You mix those together, and you get a negative net rating, which what we have, um, and and you get that because this tells you it's a struggle on offense to score. Sometimes I can give you my reasons for that. I believe it is when we were playing those two big lineups with AD at the four, DeAndre at the five. And then when you have Russ as your point guard when you're doing that, it's hard to get in the lane because you got two dudes already down there because AD wants to be in that mid-post block area. DeAndre Jordan has nowhere else he can go but that dunker spot. So that's two defenders you have to navigate through. Russell's guy is down there in the paint because Russell can't shoot. Third guy. So if, even if Russell attacks his man and beats him, there's two guys waiting for him. If someone else wants to attack LeBron James, uh, by the way, uh, and he's got three guys waiting. And obviously, LeBron's DNA is make the right play, kick out to Russell Westbrook or kick out to whoever the open guy is, and they break a three. You know, so that when when you talk it out, you can see why the offense is 23rd. But that's not an excuse, or that's not good. Like I don't want that to just be what it is there needs to be adjustments made there needs to be some onus taken as as a player you know to be better and you know to frank's credit he has made some adjustments deandre jordan's been getting some dnps lately i believe uh by the end of this season or by the trade deadline he'll be cut um and i think we'll shift to more of ad starting at center to help accommodate russ and, uh, you know, if we're starting AD at center, then we probably only need one backup instead of two. And I believe they'll go with Dwight over DJ in that sense. Um, 14th in defense, like I said, not as bad as I thought, but nowhere near good enough um, to to be a serious contender at the moment, you know, um, especially when you're 23rd in offense. So what this tells me is, Teams can hang around against us because we don't just shut people down like we did in years past where we were top of the league or top three and all the time. We're 14th, so we're a very average defense, literally by the numbers. Um, So teams hang around because we don't make shots and and, and things like that. And then they can kind of slowly creep back into it because our defense isn't great. It's just decent. Um, So that's how you get barely winning against bad teams or choking leads against OKC. Um, I don't think we've blown anyone out this year, you know, which is a, a very telling sign considering how easy our schedule was to start. 
And um, it only gets tougher these next five. We have a five-game road trip starting tonight against the Bucks. Then we go to Boston at Detroit, which, I mean, I don't care if that's a back-to-back or not. We need to be winning that game. Then we go to the Garden to play the Knicks and then finish the road trip off with the Pacers. So um, a lot will be said to me about this team in this five-game stretch. Should be getting LeBron back sometime on the road here. Um, But for me, man, I'm concerned. I really am. Let's start with the Russell Westbrook element because obviously that's what the big deal is. You know, we traded three really, really good, really, really good players, especially um, with how they fit, two of them with how they fit with LeBron, Kuz, KCP, um, to the Wizards to get Russell. And Russell hasn't been great, you know. The stats look decent like they always do. 19 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. But 5 turnovers a game. He's shooting below 30% on threes. Um, He's shooting below 42% from the field. And the things with Russell, man, it, it... it's 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 tough as a fan to watch him because you you do need to be supportive of him because he is with us now and he's probably going to be with us for the whole year. I don't see anyone trading for that guy. Um, but it's tough, man, when you see some of the turnovers. Like we're up five with a minute 50 and it's time to slow down and, and get a good shot and, and potentially try and ice the game. Not with Russell Westbrook. Sometimes he will just run at full speed, boom, dribble it off his foot, out of bounds. Or run full speed, three dudes are back in the paint, he jumps in the air and realizes he can't finish. And his only instinct or the only thing he can do is turn around and throw it and hope someone followed behind him. And most of the times people don't because it's time to walk the ball up the court and get a good shot and he throws it right to the other team. Or a backcourt violations. Like, it's, it's just a lot of those mind-blowing TOs that I'm like, you're the point guard, man. And when things get tight and stressful, that's when I need you to be calm, you know. Shout out to LeBron there. If you if you know, you know. But it, it seems like when, when things get stressful and tight and, and there's high leverage moments with Russ, he goes the opposite way and he goes full tilt. He's like... Wow, it's stressful and it's calm. That's where I kind of thrive. Let me let me meet stress with stress and something's going to break, you know. And most times it's Russ who ends up getting burnt there. Um, so so that element of it has been kind of tough to watch. Um, I do believe there is a way to get more out of him with lineups we could throw out, you know, more shooting around him and AD at the moment. Um, but we've seen that too and and and. With the more shooting, you lose some defense. So there's always some trade-off with this team. And just to explain something, there's always going to be these type of dilemmas and decisions where you have three guys making up most of your cap space and a lot of the rest of the guys have to be minimum salary players. And with a minimum salary guy, you know, you're going to get your nights where they do really good and win you a game or two. There's going to be nights where they're really bad and you can't play them. That's just the nature of a minimum contract guy. If it wasn't like that, they wouldn't be making the minimum. So that's kind of where I'm at with it, man. Um, As far as some positives, you know, I guess you could say we have a winning record with all the injuries we have. You know, 
THT just recently debuted a couple games ago against the Spurs. Kendrick Nunn and Trevor Reese still haven't played a game yet, and those were two guys who I believe could do a little bit of both. Like they could provide some defensive um, stability both at the point of attack with Kendrick Nunn, and you know as that back line sort of guard the big wing, rotate down to the center, Trevor Ariza, um, who could hit a corner three for a year from time to time. So I think those are two guys who were going to play heavy rotation minutes. And they've been out, so we've had to rely on, you know, some of the guys lower on the depth chart, like your Wayne Ellingtons, who, to be fair to him, has been really good. Um, Austin Reeves, who has been great, but is hurt now, and we've had to play Rondo a lot more than I think they've envisioned. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, like I said, has got some DNPs, but he's had to come and play some just off of the fact that we don't have enough healthy bodies. Uh, Kent Bazemore has been atrocious. We've had to keep playing him because we just need to fill the minutes, you know? So as far as that goes, man, I guess that's a positive to say. We're still 8-7. and seven. Um this road trip, as I said, will either make or break us. It'll tell me a lot about the team and how we respond to some adversity. Um, but, yeah, man, I just think there's been a lot of depth that's been derailed by injury. Um, and some of those guys who would, like, be the glue to a lot of lineups, as I mentioned, Austin Reeves had been phenomenal. Um, and he was just good at greasing in the wheels to make lineups work, kind of similar to Caruso. Obviously, Caruso was the pinnacle of that and a lot better and showed us when we play them. But Reeves did a lot of the sort of things. Um, like, for instance, he's t- taken five charges in the 10 games he's played. That's good for one every other game. And that's little stuff like that, man, that a lot of deflections from him, a lot of just being in the right place defensively to where he can contest the shot out of his area, you know, just little things like that. We need more of, and I believe we could get provided from Ariza and none when they come back. Um, as far as some of the positives, I mentioned that I mentioned I didn't mention Carmelo. Carmelo has been really, really good. He's been shooting the ball good, and he's been competing defensively, which I I I respect, and I didn't expect um, to see from him this year. But like I mentioned, he's a minimum player and there's going to be times where he slumps and there's going to be times where he's not playing defense and getting blown by. And that's just kind of what you got to understand is when he does go through a slump and maybe it's the name being changed to Crypto Arena that throws him off. I don't know. Um, But when that does happen, it's like, hey, man, that's what we signed up for when we got all these minimum players because we traded for us. Um, So to me. My concerns are with the front office just making that decision instead of, you know, trying to keep what worked, which was 3-and-D, D-and-three, um, and and just enough playmaking and ball handling around LeBron and AD to kind of going all in on talent and offensive firepower and losing a lot of the defensive uh, talent that made us what we were last two years. I'm concerned, man. I really am. The schedule's been soft, and we are basically a 500 team. I'm expecting us to lose to Milwaukee tonight. Um, As it is with the Lakers' luck, Chris Middleton should be back tonight. Ain't played in like two weeks, so of course he's fit for the Lakers game because that's what happens. 
Um, but even if they didn't have him, if you want the honest truth, I think we would have lost to them tonight. We'll see what happens. But overall, man, when LeBron comes back, that's probably going to cure 20 to 25% of what's wrong. Obviously, he's that good of a player and a problem solver. Um, when Reeves comes back, that'll take a little bit of burden off of of uh, having to play Rondo all the time and having to play Russ all the time. But man, I I just got to be honest, this I don't I don't think I see it this year in terms of championship equity. Not yet. You know, things got to change. Um and and they can. You know, obviously I'm open to it changing, but at the moment it looks very bleak. And yeah, man, we'll see. Slow starting Lakers for sure. But there is always optimism in this household that LeBron James is just that good to where he can fix things. Anthony Davis has been phenomenal all year, and there's hope that he can stay at that level. Um, and just, you know, we find different lineups once we're all fully healthy that can kind of maximize those two. That's the hope. That's the prayer. That's the wish, whatever you want to say. Uh, I appreciate you guys for sticking with me through this venting session. Uh, shout out to the Warriors once again. Shout out to the Lakers. I will be talking about uh, some teams from the East in my next podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I appreciate it always. And until the next one.